uh, maybe we can share an ice cream. <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson with CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hi. <laughs> You fucked it up, Jeremy. You la- fucked it up. Well, I'm still laughing. The nah. last one. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, and uh, Barrett Share from Music Video Sins. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about the year of 1992 and our continuing Best of the Years We've Been Alive series. Now I swear. She will be mine. Dick, 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 dick. Hoo-ah. Object. And when it went bad, you cut crazy. these guys loose. Have you made your decision for Christ? Where's the juice? No, 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 where's the juice? My voice is my passport. Verify. Sneakers! Ooh. Yes! Holy shit, 1992's a Ooh. fucking great year, is it not? Yeah. I saw somebody on Twitter that was like, good discussion on 91, but 92 looks like a shit year. And I was like, what? 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 I guess in if you wanted to be fair about it, there are, I mean, I guess like overwhelmingly um, critic approved movies that may not be big. I don't know. I think there's a, quite a few, though. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you can really say uh, 92 looks like a shit year. I don't know if no. you can really say that. No. I mean, there are a lot of movies that are like, uh, you know, they're in that zone, like Sneakers. Sneakers is not a movie that was super critically approved, mm. but. But man, do I love sneakers. Let's talk about sneakers talk right about off the bat. Sneakers, my <laughs> God. This movie's so fun. We've already talked about it. We have. We've already recommended it. Yes. Um, it's basically perfects kind of Ocean's Eleven heist cool crew stuff way before well, way after the original Ocean's Eleven, yes. way before <laughs> Clooney and Soderbergh made it cool. Um Robert Redford. Um, I love everything about this movie. I I was trying to think earlier about like a line that I could quote because we've already quoted some of them in the mm. previous talk, but uh, there's too many to choose from. I mean, this I, this thing comes on and I'm stuck for two hours. I'm yeah. not leaving the room. I don't think there's one moment in Sneakers where I'm sitting there going, oh, I wish I'd get past this part. Yeah. Because it, it's just, I mean, and it has that, for me, the greatest scene in that movie is the uh redford is in a trunk and he remembers all the sounds and then he gets david strathairn as a blind guy to like sort of navigate what kind of sounds he heard while he's in the back of this trunk and i had never seen anything like that in a movie before i watched sneakers and i don't think i've seen anything after it either except for the bullshit one in Taken Two. Um, <laughs> oh, dog barking! He must be there now. Yeah, yeah he must be. You, you get the sense that they must have watched Sneakers. Somebody on that movie must yeah, have watched Sneakers. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I love it because he talks about Redford's like. Uh, it sounded like, uh, and he's all sheepish. Yeah, a cocktail party. Yeah, and like, yeah. <laughs> Bishop's like, or uh, the blind character is like, all right, well, let's go over there to to the reservoir. Somebody. So there's a cocktail party at the reservoir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you could you could say that. But what a a, a huge cast. 
cast this was. I mean, what a cast! I mean, no holes How in, in the world did they get this many people? They got Robert Redford. They got Sidney Poitier. They got Dan Aykroyd. They got River Phoenix. They got David Strathairn. They've got James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones. Ben Kingsley. Ben Kingsley. I mean, it goes on and on. And they all get along perfectly. Yeah, Merrick McDonald's in it. Yeah, I mean, you could just tell like everybody. Ned Ryerson's in it. Yeah, Stephen Tobolowski. Ned Ryerson. Ned Ryerson. I love the bit in the sushi restaurant where she's trying to get him to say all the words and eventually my voice is my passport (laughs) and um and they're trying to they're vacuuming around them like trying to get rid of them and like uh, the guy working there's like he just yells at them uh, i just love everything about this movie but uh yeah the cast is outstanding we didn't even mention probably three or four other names that would be worth mentioning um, he says, should I call you or should I nudge you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so gross. Yes, it is. That's a terrible pickup line. <laughs> but uh, yeah, our love of sneakers is amazing. And I and it's going to be weird when we get to the voting for this, right? Because sneakers, I think, means a lot to both me and Jeremy yeah. a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a lot of great movies in 92. Let's go with the biggest box office hit of 92, which was Aladdin. And uh, as we were discussing before taping, uh, taping, as we use tape, we (laughs) get real to real. um, Right. I watched this movie my freshman year of college maybe 50 times. We. My group of friends, if we got together for any reason, somebody put Aladdin on. Mm. Uh, and I'm not sure why, but we just loved it and became like, it got to a point where we could quote the whole thing and we would do impressions. I used to do a little impression of one of the songs in college 20 years ago. It was pretty good. (laughs) I'm not going to do it right now. Um, This is a step. Well, it's not really a step back from Beauty and the Beast. Uh, no. This is still a beloved movie. I think it's a little less impactful than Beauty and the Beast. Right. And as Barrett noted, there's some jokes in this movie that may not pa- pass muster today. You probably uh, wouldn't. W- with the culture of racism. Yeah, no, it's it's very uh, it's very unabashedly Islamic. And uh, <laughs> it, it'll, it'll say stuff like, praise Allah or Allah forbid you if you have any kids. This is a tour de force for Robin Williams, though, mm-hmm. as a voice actor. And one of those performances probably that you could conceivably wonder why the academy doesn't recognize stuff like this a lot of times i know that a lot of times the academy wants to say well it's the full person and they're and they and you have to see the whole wide range of emotions but this is a voice acting thing that's amazing at least get a category for it or something like that yeah no that's a good point and he's just unhinged he's he's his id almost because of that animation if he's on stage, then he can do his physical mannerisms to have the audience visualize it. But he can literally become, you know, Pinocchio or, or that kind of thing yeah, when he's yeah. calling somebody a liar. Right. He can become like a U-boat and uh, get him out of the water. And stuff like <laughs> yeah, that. yeah. So, I mean, that's it's like a perfect marriage. And they, they made it work really, really well. Your very own camel. Watch out. They spit. <laughs> yeah. There was some discussion, like, you know, with Avatar whether or not Zoe Saldana should get like a, a nomination or something. First off, no, no. because that mo- movie's bullshit. But <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Papa Dragon. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but but second off, though, it, it, if it was, I mean, that's the thing. If it was a good enough performance or whatever, don't we should have at this point, especially since things are getting more and more digital. We're gonna have to probably at some point come up with a voice acting 
category. Or mocap. Some, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Some something like that. Oh, the Andy Circus Andy Circus Award. Uh, I think that man. I, I would almost rather see him just get a straight up acting award for a mocap performance because he's so goddamn good. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, Robin Williams basically rewrote on the fly this character. He was doing so much ad lib. God, I would love to get a hold of the tapes of oh, all the shit God. they didn't use. Are you serious? Yeah. Um, but you know, he came in and just sort of went you know the way robin williams does and you know the, the whole movie hinges on this performance yeah you get somebody even 10 percent less manic and it's not going to work at all <laughs> yeah it has to be properly good and Absolutely. fucking manic yeah exactly well, like, then, i'm not even sure jim carrey could do it well yeah. later yeah. on they'd get dan castellanetta uh homer simpson fame to do uh you know do that character and he can do a pretty good robin williams it's still a pale imitation of robin sure. williams so um, but, uh, uh, also in 1992, best picture went to unforgiven mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood, uh, amazing movie. I love it, love uh, it so much. Uh, yeah. Unforgiven is one of the best movies you'll ever see. Yeah. And it was, uh, it came out at a great time where the Western had been dead and hadn't, we hadn't had a super great Western in a long time. And, uh, you know, Clint Eastwood at his very best, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, just, uh, just, you know, you, generally great performances from him and morgan freeman but especially gene hackman yeah. who won the oscar of course yeah but uh this is just a movie that i remember when it came out i was like i don't know if i want to watch this it's a western you know i i had that kind of feel back then but uh when i finally did watch it oh my god this is such it's such a good movie it's, oh, it's so great. good and it's it's not quick it's a western yeah <laughs> uh, but it's powerful i think and sort of clint eastwood kind of almost flipping his former western role mm. and now he's this grizzled guy yeah. who doesn't want to kill or what have you um yeah it's so great but i haven't it, seen it in a while did it's gene got- hackman win the best supporting actor award yes so he got it from jack nicholson yeah yeah because of a few good men yeah yeah because yeah. i that, i remember not liking this movie before i saw it because i loved a few good men so oh, much yeah. <laughs> and jack nicholson that i was angry at it yeah but it's an awesome movie well uh, speaking of a few good men mm-hmm. let's talk about that movie yes um side story like a week ago aaron sorkin did an ama on reddit <laughs> somebody one of the questions somebody asked him was in all caps did you order the code red and aaron sorkin replied in all caps you're goddamn right i did <laughs> and it just made for such a great internet moment um, but talk about dialogue this oh is, my mean, god people say the west wing dialogue is great and it is sorkin is a wizard at dialogue but i still think few good men is maybe his best work in terms of like tightness of the script uh everybody has a chance to shine uh all the actors you know play off of each other really well Mm -hmm. who would have thought kevin pollack and tom cruise would make such a great pairing yeah you know i i wouldn't it wouldn't i wouldn't have thought it until i saw it Um, yeah it was that that seemed to be kind of an odd casting choice of all of the you get somebody like Kevin Bacon or Kiefer Sutherland, yeah. and like in these minor roles, and then you get Kevin Pollock is is a pretty highly regarded supporting actor. I mean, yeah. he was pretty much a comedian at that point. Oh right? yeah, and like an impression guy, and here he is playing off of Nicholson and Tom. Although he doesn't play off of Nicholson hardly at all, but that's one thing that does bother me is that Nicholson when he's on the stand, Jessup, 
Uh, he says, you know, who's going to guard that wall? You, you Lieutenant Caffey. And then he points out, and he's like, you, Lieutenant Weinberg. <laughs> and like, Kevin Pollock hasn't had any dealing with, yeah. with Jessup this whole time, except to be like along for the ride. So yeah. just like, hey, man, don't bring me in this shit. This is, uh, this is the first uh, sort of collaboration between Sorkin and Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner again, uh, and we, the, the guy, I mean, seriously, I don't know if we ever call him best director of all one of these best directors of all time kind of guys i think his track record certainly is one of the best of all time mm-hmm. um I, I mean after this there's i think there's one more good movie that he has and that's another one that he had with sorkin which is american president but um which basically is the west Wing. the west wing yeah yeah, yeah. but uh, a few good men of course um, Known mostly for that big, huge confrontation at the end and everything. Mm -hmm. I love all the stuff leading up to it, though. Mm -hmm. There's just a a, sort of a mass confusion going on when he's like, you know, like when things went bad, you cut him loose. And then like (laughs) Kevin Bacon is like sitting there like trying to get him basically arrested (laughs) because he's accusing a a big officer of murder, basically. And all there's there's, and there's the judge is saying stuff. But Tom Cruise is just he's he wants the truth. God damn it. And he's like, he's he's not going to be stopped until he finally gets Nicholson to say what he wants. You know, and I love that scene. It's so intense. You cannot watch that scene just lying on a couch. No, no, no. He's he's uh, he's out there without a net. Mm. He, literally, his colleagues try to talk him out of that before he really goes into it, even though they were talking him into it the whole time before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. now she's like, well, if, you, if you're not there, just don't go for it. And he's like, fuck you, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here. Yeah, yeah. And that was the only way to do it. He brought in like this kind of dog and pony show. But like that was the only way he was going to get him to admit that is to piss him the hell yeah. off. Yeah. And questioned his judgment. Yeah. Well, and he thing. knew it. He knew it the night before yeah. when he does this. Imp- he eats breakfast. He, <laughs> <and yard. laughs> he knew all he had to do was push the right buttons. The question is, can he do it? Yeah. Because you don't know until you're in it. Yeah. And there's that. I love that hesitation because he pauses. Tom Cruise does right before he decides to go for yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love that moment. And Kevin Pollack looks at him like, yeah, don't do it. His head, not <laughs> <working>. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, what's also great about that moment is how they've set up his character throughout the whole movie mm-hmm. is that he's the guy who goes in, you know, let's do this in a day and get these people moving on and all that. He's never been this kind of lawyer before. Right. And to be pushed to that point is exhilarating in a movie. He even says after the first hearing, so this is what the inside of a courtroom looks like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what else stands the out? The player. Ooh. Okay, I love the player for sure. Uh, you gave me an odd look when I said that. No, Ooh. no, I, I, because you just jumped right on in and said it, uh, which is fine. Uh, I love the player. When I realized, when I was putting my notes together for this, when I realized this was the year the player came out, I got really excited because this is... This is a movie I can enjoy on multiple levels. Like, I can watch it once and enjoy all of the Hollywood Insider stuff, and I can watch it a second time and enjoy the mystery that's mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. Uh, and then I can watch it a third time and just enjoy the humor that's in the background. And yeah. It's a perfect movie for a guy like Altman to have made who, who loves playing with background audio, mm-hmm. even while your main characters are doing something. Um and I just love it. I this is where I fell in love with Tim Robbins. It probably is where most people did. Yeah. Um, but he pulls this performance off so it's, so well. It's perfect because it, essentially his character is an asshole studio exec, 
but he he only gets the opportunity to green light like six movies in a year so he pisses off a lot of people and all other type of stuff um and there is an act he commits in this movie that is heinous yeah and afterwards you're still kind of going but but he didn't mean it (laughs) you know but he didn't mean it and you're still rooting for him to sort of succeed in the end which is a weird thing because he's a bad guy he's a really bad guy but you don't want lyle lovett to find him (laughs) you know you don't (laughs) want him to catch on by the way the the interplay between lyle lovett and Whoopi goldberg and all these people (laughs) are so fantastic it's like you know woody Whoopi goldberg sitting there like spinning a tampon in her hand and all this other type of stuff he's like he's like he's like this is my size this is slender regular this is not blah, blah, blah. And like, uh, <laughs> and like and then he's like hey uh you saw a movie the other day didn't you and lyle love it's like yeah freaks and, like, <laughs> and there's a point where they they get they start asking grilling tim robbins on some stuff and he gets he's, you know the, the camera gets all close up he's sweating and all this other time of stuff and he's like he's like i will not say anything more without my lawyer present and everybody's like starts laughing at him and everything and all of a sudden you hear in the background one of us one of us one of us and the movie is filled with stuff like that like uh, there's a lot of like just nods to other movies and and you know just if you're a movie fan, the player is a great place to start when you're talking about movies make that made about movies. Yeah. And uh, right at the beginning, there's an unbroken shot uh, that's trying to out uh, touch of evil, touch of evil, basically. Yeah. And Fred Ward is sitting around like, like uh, all these movies today, cut, 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 cut. <laughs> that move, that shot in touch of evil was the best or whatever. And like, he has an assistant who's like, have you ever seen this movie? Like, cause everybody <laughs> talks about touch of evil as their unbroken shot, you know, masterclass or whatever, but there's other movies that do it too. <laughs> and I love how he keeps interviewing. Oh, did you ever see it? No, I never saw that one, but the touch of evil one is really good. <laughs> Um, yeah, and the player has all that stuff, like, you know, people pitching The Graduate 2, and, and <laughs> yeah. everybody wants Bruce Willis and Julia Roberts in their movie, <laughs> and, you know, and then that, you know, the the one script in there that gets a lot of time is that one, the guy where it's, he's like, uh, the, the gas chamber, the gas comes down, she dies, you know, because that's how what happens, that's life, that's blah, 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 <laughs> you know, and, 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 like, people are trying to make this movie palatable to a, a huge audience, um, <laughs> Anyway, yeah, it, the player is a great recommend mm-hmm. out of this. What else in 92, guys? Well, there was there used to be a hipster debate about if Reservoir Dogs was actually better than Pulp Fiction. Mm. And, you know, it was cool because everybody loved Pulp Fiction for a time to say, well, if you look at his earlier work, it really holds up better. And it doesn't, but no. Reservoir Dogs is really an amazing and groundbreaking film it is and i love it uh i've seen it several times but i don't think it's as good as pulp fiction no No, it isn't i mean and it's look it's it's good it's got a lot of great dialogue and especially the scene where he's remembering a story that didn't actually happen the way he cuts that and everything is beautiful because at first he's just being taught the story Mm -hmm. by the end of it he's in the bathroom that he's telling the story (laughs) and uh and that's probably my favorite part of reservoir dogs is just that whole thing because you know because yeah you have to have a good story to get into this group of criminals or else they're not going to believe you they're not going to have that you gotta have everything right about that and uh but yeah, Reservoir Dogs is an interesting case. I mean, a lot of uh, people will tell you that's a ripoff of City on Fire. City on Fire actually 
is the same story and mm. uh it's about a bunch of jewel thieves and you know uh paranoia and all other type of yeah. stuff and it even has some of the lines from Res- reservoir dogs right but it's mostly tarantino re- infusing his dialogue into this city on fire whatever but because of the nature of his dialogue the performances that he got especially from tim roth yeah if you're a tim roth fan this should be probably one of your favorite performances of his yeah yeah um, it really goes from start to finish in reverse order almost um uh, in a great arc and and he plays really generally a badass but a badass that is relatable yeah and uh really puts himself out there the interplay with the performances the interweaving with this weird background narrative of Stephen Wright and K. Billy's yeah. super songs of the 70s <laughs> yeah. and how those 70s songs interact with it, uh, with uh, Hooked on a Feeling and, uh, of course, the Stuck in the Middle with You by Steeler's Wheel yes. with no apostrophe. That's right. Uh, so, yeah, it's awesome. I love it, man. I could watch that stuff but all now, the time. now uh, I think Hooked on a Feeling belongs to Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah it, it does. does. Yeah. But uh, Reservoir Dogs is, is just a... Uh, yeah, it's incredibly rich dialogue-wise. It's an always interesting movie. It's very short too, mm-hmm. especially for compared to what Tarantino does later. But uh, I just, yeah, I love everybody in this. This is a huge cast. It's amazing. Harvey Keitel basically got this movie rolling. Uh-huh. If it wasn't for him, may not have been able to do it. He also, I think, Tarantino sold True Romance in order to do this movie. But uh, yeah, the I love everybody in this. Harvey Keitel, Steve Buscemi. Michael Madsen's amazing. Uh, yeah, you said Tim Roth is, mm-hmm. is fantastic. Chris Penn yeah. Yeah. is uh, is great. But uh, I just love it. My Michael Madsen is like this is the this is typical Tarantino dialogue we're gonna hear for the rest of his career. Basically, it's like you know where he's talking about why he shot the girl in the in the store and everything. It ain't a done. What I told him not to do, <laughs> still be alive. <laughs> you know? Very like, hey, you know. This is the way things are. I'm going to spell it out for you. <laughs> well, it's also got the great non sequiturs of like Harvey Keitel's in in the middle of telling Tim oh, Roth that's so what to what to do in case of a bank robbery, and if, you know if if you got a real cowboy as a manager, then cut off a finger. You know the little one first, and then he goes on to you know the thumb. <laughs> and and after he gets done with that, Tim Roth's got kind of this cool but bewildered expression on his face, and Harvey Keitel says. I'm hungry. Let's get a taco. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something we had never really heard gangsters talk about <laughs> in this very like, hey, you know, they do human things too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you see that again and maybe even better in Pulp Fiction with the mm-hmm. talk about Royale with cheese yeah. and all mm-hmm. that stuff. <laughs> On their way to do an execution. Yeah. Um, what else in 92, guys? Well, geez, I'm, I'm scrolling through this list. I don't know how we're ever going to even finish this conversation. <laughs> uh, but Glengarry Glen Ross came yes. out this year, yep. according to my notes. Yep. Uh, we've mentioned it many times. We don't need to spend a lot of time on it right now. But uh, if only for the Alec Baldwin scene, watch it. But hopefully it hooks you beyond that, because I, I think there's better stuff after that and from a dramatic standpoint. It's possibly one of the best years as far as huge casts getting yeah. all together. And this is just a who's who of heavy hitting actors yeah, all really in is. one. Uh, I'm sure that if you counted all the Oscars these guys have won, like you know, it'd be it'd be in it'd be in double digits probably because you have Kevin Spacey who would go on to win two. Jack Lemmon Jack won Lemon. won I think three Oscars. He may have only won two, but he he won at least two. You have Al Pacino won his own. Well, he he won his only Oscar for Sin of a Woman, which also came out this year. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, and Alan Arkin won yep. one. Uh, so, 
and so it's just one of those it's just everybody in this is amazing uh but yeah we don't need to go too much in detail we've talked about that one a lot watch it yeah uh what else guys well you keep saying what else guys but i, I want to let you throw out one if you want okay well last of the mohicans mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. Uh, i will find you yes <laughs> stay alive no matter what it goes also parodied by seinfeld yep yep um last of the mohicans is a departure for michael mann who had been mostly known for miami vice and uh you know stuff like thief and things like that up until this point um so you would never think the guy really behind miami vice was like let's uh let's do that uh james fenmore cooper (laughs) novel or whatever um but uh this this is a this is a really great movie it may be a better soundtrack though it's a great sound the score is fantastic yes (laughs) there are I know it. I there know it are all. there are two. I think there's two composers on Last of the Mohicans. One of them died during filming, and I can't remember who's responsible for what. I don't think they ever, you know, wanted to go out and say, "Well, I was the one who wrote <laughs> this one, the one that you love. I wrote that." Um, but the score for this is amazing. Speaking of good music in 1992, or huge music. Uh, you can't ignore the bodyguard. No, no. you can't ignore it. <laughs> unfortunately, can we just say that much and move on. <laughs> really, yeah, the titular track of "I Will Always Love You." I that will, was a huge box office hit. Yeah, yeah. it was a huge box office hit. The the, uh, the soundtrack was just on the top of the charts mm-hmm. every time I would go. Actually, back in the day, would look at this bullshit, <laughs> and I would be like, "Oh, the bodyguard's still number one, huh?" Well, <laughs> actually, uh, well, I want to talk about songs though because the Muppet Christmas Carol came out this oh, year. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is probably my favorite Christmas mm-hmm. movie, and one of the reasons it's one of my favorite Muppet movies is that the songs are so great. Mm -hmm. There's so much that like most Muppet movies have one or two songs that I'm just like, okay, I can take or leave that one. This one, every single one I'm singing along. It's in the singing of a street corner choir (laughs) going home and getting warm by the fire. Um, So I wanted to mention that one. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Should be in your holiday rotation every year. If you're, if that's not in there already. Yeah, I think so. Um, we've talked before that we, we, you, you and I, Chris, we both like Malcolm X. Yes. Uh, yes. Is, oh, yeah. uh, this big- is a uh, Spike Lee, uh, probably this is the highest he ever aimed yeah. as a director. Yeah. This is, uh, this is his epic movie. This is something falling on the heels of like stuff like JFK and all that. Uh, a big three hour epic, but Every time Malcolm X is on, it's watchable. It's mm-hmm. amazingly watchable. Um, when, if you were to just go to an average person on the street and say, hey, I've got this three-hour movie about Malcolm X. You, would you like to see it? <laughs> Most people are going to say no, uh, a pass on that. But Spike Lee is such a gifted filmmaker that this movie is just filled with excitement and just he he knows how to make it move. And um, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating movie. It's something that I personally had no idea about when with Malcolm X. You only hear a couple of things in the history books about Malcolm X yeah. when you're going through school. And when this movie came out and you watch it, it's like, wow, so many so many facets to this person that I had no idea about. Now, Denzel's some of that, electric, too. Oh, He's- Denzel's amazing in this. Because Al Pacino had not won an Oscar before and they were desperately trying to get him to win one and everything. And because they just didn't give it to him for Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. And because it was probably deserved by Gene Hackman and all that, Mm. they give it to him for sin of a woman. 
it's an okay performance. It's a yeah, very showy thing. It's whatever. But it also means that Denzel Washington doesn't win for Malcolm X. That is and a that's, real shame. To me, that's wrong yeah. because it's just one of those things where there's a clearly better performance here. And you just wanted to get Pacino his because, yeah, he had been nominated eight times before and didn't win. I, eight I mean, times before? I believe it was eight Jesus times. Jesus Christ. And, uh, and somehow, you know a way better before in fact out, out of all this group you know robert downey jr for chaplin he was okay he was good but he wasn't denzel washington i mean you look back at the performances that were nominated it's denzel all the way yeah mm-hmm. but anyway let's talk about sex let's talk about sex baby um so anyway the uh, the sexy movies that came out basic instinct the crying game the lover damage poison ivy bad <laughs> lieutenant consenting adults wow and I remember every single one of those calling to me from the video store wall. Uh, every I, single guess, one. I mean, Bad Lieutenant wasn't really a sex movie. He like though. rapes a nun though, but it wasn't in a like church. yeah, it wasn't like a, a sexy movie. Though. No, but yeah. that, that, that scene scarred me enough to where I categorized it with the rest of these. Yeah, um, but uh, Basic Instinct, of course, is the one that you would want to talk about here. Yeah, um, is it is it just me or is this movie possibly underrated? Um, I don't think so. You think maybe, it's properly maybe rated? Time, maybe over time, because Michael Douglas's performance is so over the top. It, it is. Doesn't all, it, it's I got all the marks of a Paul Verhoeven movie. It does. And it, just everything is a little bit, just 12% over the top of where it probably should be. Why does that guy be. keep getting more credit for his movies as time goes on? Because he did Starship <laughs> and, uh, Troopers, right? Uh-huh, and Total Recall. And Starship Troopers has gotten to a point now where people respect it. But mm-hmm. when it came out, it was considered kind of a miss. Well, Even though we knew what it was aiming for, yeah. it didn't hit right. But I think the reason is, is when a movie comes out, it's marketed a certain way. Starship Troopers, for instance, was marketed as a big sci-fi, kill aliens thriller. And it wasn't that. And so what happens is all the people who go see it expecting that uh, are disappointed. Mm. And then they say, this is a shitty movie. And so it's it's almost like the uh, the test audience only on a bigger scale, mm-hmm. and then now you have this movie just on shelves basically forever, and people are like they're going to it on their own terms, and um, they are watching it without all that baggage, and they're like, oh, this is actually a pretty good movie on like that satirical type of yeah, movie about yeah. alien invasion, and 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 you sort of you know especially if you want to like apply it to like. A, a lot of wars that we go yeah, into. and the ones that have read the book and yeah. they'll come back to it just yeah yeah so um so yeah i mean it, that's why that type of stuff happens like robocop was a huge hit because it was uh, it was a fucking cop blowing away people and stuff but when people actually started sitting down and watching that a little bit more critically like oh there's a lot of satire in this too there's a lot of stuff that i can sort of latch on to as a as this is more than just what is being presented to me and I think that's part of it. I think Verhoeven does so much satire that that's that's part of what we're missing the first time around with his movie. It feels like it happens to him more than most directors. Yeah, and now Basic Instinct, I do not believe has that. I mean, it's yeah, it is over the top. Uh, but I don't know. I've I've always enjoyed the mystery of it, even though it is. I mean, there's so much ridiculous in it. Yeah, so much ridiculous. <laughs> we send this movie. Mm-hmm. And it was just like so many things in it that just don't, I mean, you would never have this, you would have to have this perfect 
set of circumstances for this kind of environment to exist in in you know any kind of investigation going on and that's why everything's so ridiculous in it but i don't think it yeah i, I think it might be properly rated mm-hmm. but sometimes i think people are just like eh, that's not it's just a sex movie but it was huge I mean, there's yeah a, there's a and there were seven quote sex movies that came out this year but nothing maybe it was the power of sharon stone's vagina it could be but i mean nothing was on the scale of how culturally impactful this movie was well and she was i don't think it was her because she maybe it was just her nudity but she was relatively unknown to the masses at yeah. this point. this is what put her on the well, map. she was oh, yeah. in total recall briefly mm-hmm. so that's how she and verhoven sort of like you know got together on this but yeah, she wasn't very well known at all. I remember seeing the trailers and I was like, who's that? I'm 15. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. And this movie was marketed as all about sex, oh, yeah. crime, mystery. I think mm-hmm. I've told this story before, but like I went to a, a religious university and opening night, sold out show. There were so many students from this Christian college. They sang the goddamn alma mater. <laughs> <laughs> Which, of course, got back to the school and got them in trouble. But before the movie started, someone led them in singing. And it's basic instinct. And then that first scene comes on where they're fucking in that bed. And you're just like, oh, I will never forget when man. I finally caught. I didn't even see this at that point. I wasn't there. I rented it later. Um, and that first scene shocked the crap out of me. Yeah, It was for its time. It was graphic as hell. Yeah, oh, it really yeah. does explore some real graphic sexuality and bisexuality and, you know, and kind of like the S&M culture that, that was just kind of up and coming. So no pun intended, but the, uh, yeah, I think that part of it was really fascinating to me. And the mystery part of it was again, kind of ridiculous, but, uh, it was, it was a fun movie nonetheless. Um, another, uh, tremendous hit in 1992 is a league of their own. I just saw that one on my list. Yeah. This Um, is a movie that I don't like as much as most people do. Really? I don't dislike it. Um, but it, it's fairly forgettable for me. Mm. And I, I wonder if it just means I'm sexist. And I don't like women playing baseball. No, I that was maybe. a joke. I, maybe. I don't. I mean, I don't think it has anything to do with that. Just kind of like it's kind of like Ghostbusters. You know, it is, if you don't like it, you don't like it. Yeah. It's not a um, whatever. I haven't seen this movie in forever. I remember enjoying it though, and I think Tom Hanks was really good in it, and I love Gina Davis. Talk about a a heart, long time crush uh, was Gina Davis. Uh, and of course, it's got John Lovitz is fan is hilarious in it. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we, you know, that uh, I know Jeremy and I always say is this, you know, somebody anytime somebody uh, adds something to a deal, we like, well, this would be more, wouldn't it? <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, but a league of their own is is uh, is a huge hit, and I, I mean, I do remember it being pretty good. Madonna kind of sort of takes a step yeah, back yeah. in this one and plays character actress for once. Um, yeah. Yeah, she's like only kind of in the background. Uh, this is Rosie O'Donnell before everybody started hating Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah, no, she she almost like disappears into this movie. You don't really realize that she's she's there. But I, there are some really touching moments in this it, because they're playing baseball because all the guys are away at war in World War II. And when you get a death notice or something like that, they deliver it to the clubhouse and Tom Hanks has to take it. And like shuffle over and give it to the woman, and who's then comforted by by her teammates, and it's really, really like it'll bring a tear to your eye. Mm. It does for me at least. Yeah. Um, also, 1992 brought us Wayne's World. Wayne's World I was just gonna Wayne's bring that. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, Wayne's World is one of my favorite comedies. Really? Yeah. I mean, now I have a lot of favorite comedies. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, so it wouldn't probably make the like top 20 or anything. Well, Wayne's like World is the only reason that they still continue to make SNL skit based movies. Yeah. Because this was the only one that really did much. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it uh, it was a huge hit. It was the uh, eighth biggest hit of 1992, made wow. over 100 million dollars. Um, but Wayne's World was one of the first movies I had seen in a long time that wasn't afraid to be ridiculous about a lot of mm. things, and it did. It does break the fourth wall a lot, but um, the, the spot, the, the the part where they're like sitting there saying they'll bow to no sponsor while they're sitting there eating pizza, <laughs> oh, yeah, Doritos and Doritos <laughs> and all sort of stuff. I love that and. And um and this is uh, a sort of a long track of Rob Lowe appearing in yeah. Saturday Night Live uh, alum movies uh, as the villain of this. <laughs> um, so it's just a it's just one of those movies. It's ridiculous and it's fun and you I mean I, I can watch it anytime. So yeah, it's wacky. It's great and and those performances are indelible. I mean Dana Carvey and Mike Myers were really at their peak and very quotable and very impersonable and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. I'm running out of decent ones are ones that will contend but i did want to mention uh, army of darkness Ooh, okay yeah. so i am pretty sure that army of darkness came out in 93 but it had like some screenings in 92 but we can talk about it here since it does say it's 1992 on the imdb i think so yeah let's go for it well it was just uh i just all i wanted to say was it was my introduction to bruce campbell i yeah, haven't seen any of too. the evil dead movies same here um and it was that the, the combination of macho comic horror was something i hadn't really seen a lot of yeah um and the one-liners he rips off and uh just not (laughs) taking any of it so seriously uh i I fell in love with that movie and because of it i became a bruce campbell fan i went back and watched the other evil dead movies and and uh anyway i just uh i like that movie yeah this is my boomstick (laughs) (laughs) when you want to shop smart Shop Smart. The, you got that. <laughs> the uh, the this is this movie has the uh, the part that I always loved in it was after they they uh, he's fighting that witch or whatever and everything and she's she's fallen dead and he goes over and says it's a trick get an axe. <laughs> <laughs> I always love that. Uh, but Army of Darkness, yeah. I mean, if if you haven't gotten into Evil Dead or whatever, it's it's actually a great starter for Evil Dead. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what I that's how I got into those movies. Um, but yeah, Army of Darkness, great. Um, other stuff that's uh, popping out here, uh, Under Siege. This is mm. uh, Die Hard on a boat, basically. That's yeah. I think that's how they pitched it. Um, Andrew Davis, uh, uh, who would go on to do The Fugitive the next year uh teaming with tommy lee jones for the first time also and tommy Ooh. lee jones is the of course the villain of this movie steven seagal in mm-hmm. his probably his first like real act like everything before this was like above the above law, the law yeah. hard to kill you know these three word you know something to something you know um and it also had uh erica laniac jumping out of a cake playboy bunny ah. that uh you know if we're talking about sex that's uh that was a uh, about as amazing for a 15 year old kid to see <laughs> As anything. Uh, but no, Under Siege is actually pretty good. Uh, yeah. Pretty good action movie. Yeah. Um, I, I don't. It's it's probably the best Steven Seagal movie you could ever run mm-hmm. into. Um, pretty good. Another action movie, Patriot Games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Harrison Ford taking over as Jack Ryan. And I didn't realize until we were prepping for this how 
close on the heels of Hunt for Red October, this movie came out. Yeah. My, my memory had a bigger gap between the two. Yeah, I think I did, too. Yeah. Sean Bean is in this. Yeah. Um, don't remember if he dies, but I'm guessing he does. He probably does. He, he almost always Let's does. Say how he built his career. I, the, the, the Harrison Ford, uh, Jack Ryan, is is a completely different animal from oh, yeah. the Alec Baldwin, Jack Ryan. And uh, I enjoy it, but not as much. Right. This is... I would say of all the Jack Ryans, this is the least one. Hmm. Clear and Present Danger is actually a really good one that comes mm-hmm. out later, but yeah, Patriot Games is 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 pretty far down there. It was a decent hit though back in '92. Um, another one, Francis Ford Coppola comes back into the fray with Bram Stoker's yeah. Dracula. This is Woo! an insane Woo! Dracula movie, Woo! headed by Gary Oldman. Uh-huh. Again, yeah. uh, who is uh, doing amazing work and how somehow has never been nominated except for one time in his life. Um, but uh, you want this is a movie that has been parodied and spoofed beyond belief. Like it's one of the biggest ones I think that's ever been. Simpsons did one. You know, you had uh, what else? It was just, this is just insane. This Why movie. did Coppola do this movie? Why did he do this movie? Why did he do this Dracula? This, it doesn't make sense to me. The colors are beautiful. The set pieces are great. The performance by Gary Oldman, and that's it. Yeah. Because the rest of Everybody them are bullshit. Yeah. Canoe gets on there Canoe. trying to do a fucking British accent. <laughs> yep. Winona gets on there yeah. trying to do a British accent. She kind of Anthony succeeds. Hopkins tries yeah, to do a British guy. accent. Fucking Van Helsing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that, this movie is a piece of fucking garbage, <laughs> but it is a beautiful piece of garbage. <laughs> it is, isn't and it? I don't know why Francis Ford Coppola decided to do this fucking movie. It could be, it could be just, you know. <sighs> It could be ego, man. It could be like, hey, let's try to do this big move. Could be money. Could be just that he just needed the money. Who knows? Yeah, I guess so. Um, but it's an, an interesting little uh, blip in 1992. I almost recommend watching Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, yeah. Just because I've got of how it on the DVR right now. <laughs> it is. Um, also coming out in 92, White Men Can't Jump. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the first of, I guess, a couple of team-ups with Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes. Um, White Man Can't Jump is Ron Shelton again. Um, he's not doing exactly Bull Durham uh, Tin Cup type of work there, but uh, it was a, a decent movie. Mm-hmm. White, Man, White Man Can't that Jump. That movie was everywhere. Oh, yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't know why, but that I, I feel like that movie made four hundred million, even though it didn't. But that's how yeah. much people were talking about it. <laughs> yeah, I can do it. Yeah, it. Uh, well, let's see. I have it actually here. It, it was the sixteenth uh, most popular movie of ninety two. Made about seventy something million dollars. Um, also coming out in nineteen ninety two, The Crying Game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw this. This was the first movie I ever saw at our local Belcourt Theater. Oh wow. Um, and I uh, had no idea what the surprise was, and I won't reveal it here, even though it's 20-something fucking years <laughs> old, but uh, I was not prepared for it. I was oh, not no. prepared for the, the bomb on this. I think I think nowadays I might be prepared for a bomb like this. This is a... Because this movie came out and set that kind of thing in motion. Yeah. Like, it, no one was prepared no, for it. No, 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 no. Uh, no one saw that coming. But uh, it that's a a we- that's a weird movie, right? Like it starts off with all this IRA like terrorist type stuff. It's like this gripping military thriller type movie, and then it turns into this love story. Yeah. Right after that, and it's uh, it's just an unusual movie. It's worth watching just for that. 
I know there's a few more that I want to mention before we go on. I'm, I know that we've gone long. Is Encino well, uh, Man on there? Encino <laughs> Man is not. But you can go ahead and talk about <laughs> it. In the hey, I just wanted uh, an opportunity to say. Well, and, the and it's just kind of like you know, like Batman Returns, which is uh, <laughs> uh, that was such a disappointing mm-hmm. Batman. Such a disappointing Batman. Alien Three sort of introduces us to David Fincher, although mm-hmm. not the right way. Um, and it really has that indelible image of uh, Sigourney Weaver with her head shaved and the yes. alien getting right up on her face, yeah. which is a really terrifying image. Yes, yeah. it is. And a series full of terrifying images. <laughs> um, My Cousin Vinny came out in 1992, yeah. another great one. Yes. Um, uh, Any other year, that would be in my top five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but My Cousin Vinny, funny movie. Um, uh, a River Runs Through It, Redford directing Brad Pitt and coming uh, off of his Thelma and Louise. Yeah, a river run through it. By the way, great movie. Yeah, I enjoy it. Yeah, um I remember when it came out, it seemed like everybody was on that movie. Now nobody ever talks about it. Um Another movie nobody ever talks about is Leap of Faith. <laughs> there yeah. you go. Steve Martin. Go for it. Have you seen it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've never seen it. Okay. Um I like it. Oh my um, god. Yeah. I don't think it's great uh-huh. but it's totally engaging and watchable it's basically it's a traveling fraud preacher yeah and he sets up a big tent and does revival for a week gets a bunch of offerings and then moves out of town and does it again but the town he's come to at the start of this movie is in severe drought and he meets this woman that uh he starts sort of half romancing and, and slowly over time he begins to maybe regret bilking all these people out of their money there's a kid who's crippled who ends up coming to try and get healed at the service and Liam Neeson is the guy who lives in town who's trying to expose Steve Martin as a fraud uh, and you see the back workings like one of the things I love most about the movie is during the 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 revival services because you see the guy in the van who's looking at all the cameras uh-huh. and they have all, all have earpieces and they know exactly who to to send him to and they'll say okay this woman they've done the research this woman such and such yada yada and steve martin will go i understand you're having hip trouble (laughs) praise the lord uh and it it really has a lot to say about the issues of faith i think and Mm. i don't really want to ruin the movie but it's not really spoiler to say that by the end i i think Many of those characters come to believe in God, even though they didn't before the movie started. I forgot all about that movie, and I remember really, really liking it. Yeah, for the I same like it reasons. a lot. Yeah. yeah, it's got Lucas Haas, uh, Deborah Winger. It's a uh, good cast, and uh, I, I recommend it. Also coming out in 92 was Buffy the Vampire Slayer, mm-hmm. which was Joss Whedon writing the script and somebody else directing it and everything. The movie is not good at all. Mm-mm, no, It holds up, though, better than you think. I was When I was watching this recently, I was texting Chris, you know what, Paul Rubens actually does pretty well in this movie, <laughs> and like Rucker Hauer is pretty good in this, and like uh, I think Luke Perry, uh, his performance holds up. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, no, it's not that good, it's but not, it's still it's it does better than he thinks. But as far as cultural impact goes, it gets Joss Whedon to do this as a TV series, and it becomes a historical uh, TV series yeah. at that mm-hmm. point. Talking about that point, we got El Mariachi this year, didn't we? Uh, I think we did. Yeah. Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. Um, so in terms of cultural impact, um, everything that's come from him since, of course, he pseudo kind of remakes this movie when he does Desperado. Uh, with Antonio yep. Banderas. Uh, but I recommend El Mariachi, especially if you watch it knowing how little money they spent yeah. making yeah, that movie. Yeah. And I've heard everything on this. Like the first number I heard was $7,000 it took to make El Mariachi. And then it was like $3,000. Like these <laughs> gets keep them lower and lower every time the, the years go by. But um, 
but yeah 1992 is is kind of a a nice little um i guess pivoting point for independent movies because tarantino rodriguez and all that that's why you get later on you get four rooms where they got like uh tarantino rodriguez mm-hmm. alice and anders and alexander rockwell all do uh one movie you know an anthology movie or whatever and it's terrible and it's terrible <laughs> oh yeah not good although it has its moments we'll get to that um 1992 also singles came out yeah. a movie that barrett hates and i love i love it and uh, best sound- second best soundtrack of the 90s i would say you like that paul westerberg uh, I do. I do. It's got everybody. It's got everybody from the Seattle sound. And then for whatever reason, there's a Smashing Pumpkin nah, song. Nah, on there. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> nah, yeah, nah, yeah, nah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, nah. Well, yeah. And Paul Westerberg is, is from the Midwest, too. So but it, no, it's great. The soundtrack is absolutely must have must listen. And I re- went back and rewatched it. And there are a lot of funny moments in there. Uh, but I don't think the movie holds up all that good all right well, fair enough and so after that, I don't think there's much. Of, we'll probably forgotten something again, but uh that's that's about it let's do yeah. our voting okay so the order today is chris barrett and jeremy Aww. oh me first huh mm-hmm. i don't know if i've uh, actually decided on this yet this is a really really amazing year um uh but i think as far as just general quality um overall solid amazingness and everything i'm gonna have to give this to unforgiven oh wow nice um uh i i think as far as just uh a movie you can really sink your teeth into performances writing directing and everything it's hard to beat this although i would have to say there's probably a 1b 1c and 1d in this year so it'll be interesting to see how far we go on this because i have plenty more that i can talk about yeah i'm curious uh well i'm gonna go with a few good men yeah uh for everything we're that not we gonna said. go very far yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> the dialogue the performances jack fucking nicholson you want to talk about cultural three. impact yeah yeah i mean you can't handle the truth has been yeah it's endured for until now so. yeah and uh sideshow bob's parody of it is probably my favorite <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well, you, you can... know truth handler you <laughs> <laughs> i deride your truth handling i abilities. deride your truth handling ability you could make an argument that this is his most famous performance i would say the shining is probably his most famous performance but this is right up there i think this is his most famous performance the shining and even um the one about the incest um (laughs) (laughs) chinatown (laughs) that's how you describe chinatown (laughs) the movie chinatown (laughs) only about incest (laughs) Let's forget about the drought in California <laughs> and the sorry. mystery and all that. That's what I remember most. Um, when so. you, that's that, Yeah, it goes to show why it's a bad descriptor, because I was like, the incest movie. <laughs> was he in that Angels and Insects movie? <laughs> um, so I think this is his most famous performance. Average American out on the street. Name a Jack Nicholson movie. They're either going to say maybe the Joker from Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think they're going to say this. Mm-hmm. And it's so quotable. And it's not just that scene. It's not just him. Oh, yeah, Almost no. every character has a quotable, funny line at some point. Um, and uh, yeah, between the cultural impact and the, the quality, uh, like you said earlier about, I think, a different movie, there's no wasted scenes here. Mm-hmm. There's no moment in this movie where you're like, hurry it up and get on to the next Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. Um, so we're done. Yeah, A Few Good Men is the winner on this one. Sweet. Um, we yeah. win. I have no problem with that, though. I mean, that would have been my next pick. Was that 1B? Yeah. What, was, what would your 1B have been? Uh, I was going to go with Reservoir Dogs, actually. I was going to yeah. hit you with sneakers. 
Yeah, yeah, I figured, yeah I that's number three for me. I would have. I would probably gone through if we went through multiple rounds. Would have been reservoir dogs. Would have been sneakers. Yeah, it would have um, taken a lot of like trigonometry and like yeah, calculus yeah. and solving for f and x. There would have been a, a ten minute blank spot in the podcast <laughs> where we're just thinking. You hear the sound of you typewriters? Out. Yeah, you're, <laughs> like, you're, like adding machines. They're like, hey, guys, hey guys, be sure to keep listening. We're just thinking right now. We didn't. We we knew we could cut it out, but we said fuck it. Um. But uh, that's it. I mean, I think that's uh, I think that's a good choice, guys. I'm not a, I'm not opposed to a few good men, obviously. So nice. now we're going to be talking about uh, fights in movies that we really, really think are our best. At my signal, unleash hell. He said to hit him until he gave the signal to stop. How much can you know about yourself? You've never been in a fight. To the death. No. To the pain. I don't think I'm quite familiar with that phrase. Some really good uh, fights in film. We've narrowed it down to a few categories, like the epic battle. Yep. Thinking, you know, like uh, people on horses and, you know, send in the cavalry and all that. And just best fist fights. And uh, just, a several, a whole, just a few there, just to name a few. But um, where do we want to start on this, guys? Why don't we start at the top with large scale or epic fights? Okay. Go, why don't you go first on that? Okay. I've got, obviously, this brings to mind maybe like Lord of the Rings, which may come up later on, or like Braveheart, things like that. But one of my favorite ones that was fairly recently was on Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, good call. And it's it's really unique in the fact that in the movie, it's Tom Cruise just dropping into a, a crazy nutso battle zone of which he has really no idea how to how to interact with. And it really has all of the the terror as something like saving private Ryan when they're storming the beach in Normandy. Uh, he has to get used to this exoskeleton suit. Um, he's got to navigate things falling out of the sky, his ship going down as he's supposed to drop into the, the the battle and everything. He's never really interacted with these these beings that he's fighting, and he doesn't know his his comrades either. So like, he's dropping into a a world that is really a proxy for us because this is the first time that we've seen it too. And the scale and the scope of it and the way that it's done is just awesome. You have to check it out. Yeah, and you actually mentioned my answer, the Saving Private Ryan Normandy Beach scene, which Sorry. is a little obvious, but it's so good. Yeah. I can't not mention Gosh. it. It yeah. puts you in that moment in, in, I think, the best way a movie could possibly put you in that moment. And mm -hmm. other than living through it, this is as close to what it might feel like, and it's harrowing. It's horrible. And it, it's it's terrifying, and it sets the stage for the entire rest of the movie's emotional payoffs. Um, and and even though it's a little obvious, I, I went with the Saving Private Ryan. Oh, no, well, yeah, one. but I mean, here's the there. here's the thing, though. It's obvious, but it's all it's obvious for a reason. Yeah. Um, it, Saving Private Ryan's opening scene is is so amazing, and it and in and in the hands of a less gifted director than Spielberg. You may have had just some everyday uh, D-Day battle on that. Not on this one. Mm -mm. And you you feel as I I don't think any of us who has who have never been in combat can ever really say what combat is like. Sure. But that is as close I think as you can get to being in it without ever being into in it. Even though the the real thing is probably four hundred times more. Yeah, no, yeah, we're not um, saying it's not. I just want I just want to make that clear so that people don't think, well, you know, you won't know unless there's a bullet whizzing by Obviously, your head. Obviously, yeah. I just want to get that out of the way. Um, I'm gonna also I'm gonna go with because you did mention Lord of the Rings, the Helm's Deep 
uh, oh, battle is is pretty amazing. Oh. Um, it just it's just one of the ways that they know it's coming for so long, and they have to prepare for it like it's happening like immediately. Yeah, like they've known for months, and they they get everybody set up and everything, and like it's just one of those things where um, I, I love how it starts too because somebody accidentally. Uh, yeah. you know, hit, shoots an arrow. Yeah, except you know, it's not as ridiculous as it is in X Men Apocalypse. When oh they got my done. god! Um, but because the guy is, he's nervous. You can see he's just kind of like you know, and he, he just lets it go, and it yeah. and it just starts the whole thing. And then as the end, you get started getting in the individual things and everything with with Gimli and uh, with Aragorn and mm. uh, or and um, Orlando Bloom's Legolas's Legolas, character. Legolas. Um, you get you get all those individual things where Legolas and Gimli are, are like trying to uh, out kill each you know out kill each other, and you have you know that, that scene where Gimli says "toss me," and <laughs> Aragorn looks down and he's like. Uh, what <laughs> just just toss me <laughs> you know um there's a lot of, it, it's a, it's amazing when you can get a, a you know a battle that big and you can still insert some of that kind of humor into it as well yeah uh it's when peter jackson had uh you know sort of bright-eyed and bushy-tailed going into lord of the rings trilogy as opposed to what he did with hobbit <laughs> yeah totally and i love the I love the movements almost if you think of this battle like a, a piece of orchestration uh, it has lulls and peaks and there are waves of helpers and waves of other enemies and of course Gandalf the big one coming yeah. over the ridge at mm. the end uh, it just pulls all the right strings especially when Aragorn convinces the king to ride out and fight with his last breath that think it's going to be their last breath uh just love it so much it's, yeah. uh, and that was actually on my list so i'm glad you said it yeah all right so that was sort of the a taste of the large-scale army ones how about uh best hand-to-hand fist fights Ooh. okay so i took this to be best hand-to-hand fight and it could be fist fights or it could be uh, yeah just fights. yeah and i'm kind of going against the norm because there's a billion amazing fist fights um just from like the born movies alone yeah from a ton of action movies. So I actually went with the, the Wesley and Inigo Montoya scene from oh. Princess Bride <laughs> because it's mano a mano and it's, it's basically, you know, and it is to the death. I mean, they say this is what, what's going to happen. You know, uh, you seem like a decent fellow. I hate to kill you. <laughs> you seem like a decent fellow. I hate to die. You know, and, and they have the choreography is both entertaining and, you know, fairly complex. And, mm-hmm. and the whole uh, switch up of, you know, I am not left-handed and, you know, yeah. the same thing yeah. with the other thing. And just just the whole environment that they're in. And it's just so much fun to watch. The the, the repartee and the physical attributes and everything. And it's, it's really fun. It's one of my favorite, like, one-on-one fights, even though certainly it's not as, you know, visceral as, as some of the other ones. Speaking of visceral, I'm choosing the kitchen scene from Raid 2. Mm-hmm. 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 He faces off with basically the head henchman. And they use little curly knives in this scene. They destroy the fuck out of a kitchen. By yes. The way. <laughs> you want to see damage done to a commercial kitchen. Uh, but what I love about this fight, in addition to all the choreography, because it's outstanding. These guys can really do most of this stuff. Um, but it's so long. And it, like, there's <laughs> moments where they stand up and they both like just wheeze and take big breaths before they put their fists up again oh to go God. at it. And you really get the sense that they're so equally matched. Um, 
that you know your hero might not actually make it out of this one. Um, some of the fights leading up to this, like in the hallway when he takes out the baseball bat guy, I love that fight too, but <laughs> the, you're not as worried about him there. Um, but he gets cut, he suffers real damage. Uh, I just love it so And that's much. really the last fight it is. <laughs> in that movie. It, it really is. And so it needed to be that big. But uh, I, if I'm going to choose one, mm. I'm going to say that. I also wanted to say Eat Man, with Donnie Yen, mm-hmm. uh, but I think I found a way to squeeze that into another one of the categories. Nice. So. I'm also gonna I'm gonna stay on the raid two. Do it, nice. do it. Because the raid two <laughs> is just amazingness embodied into a movie. Um, the uh, the one that I, is the prison fight in the same movie oh. is amazing to me. And the the thing about it is is that there is this is a melee that probably uh, if it was an American movie would be nothing but a million cuts all together. We don't know what's going on. We just see cuts of people doing things and kicking ass and everything like that. This one is out in the middle of this muddy prison yard. Mm -hmm. And uh, our main guy is, is fending for himself, but so is a whole bunch of other people in this thing. But, while while this melee is going on the camera roves around and it is unbroken several times and that's why it's so immediate and amazing it's a low angle shot of all these people in a fight and uh, there's one scene where it just sits there and just goes through the entire prison yard ending up following two guys climbing up a fence and like getting shot by a guard that's just standing up there and it's just uh, it's one of those things like the visuals of it are amazing. Everybody's just muddy as fuck. Yeah. And yeah. then there's just the beating ass part of it, which is just like all that amazing, like how do you bend your leg that way type <laughs> of type of fighting and everything where they're just, just, you know, and you know, you see these guys, like, it's like, it's like you're controlling somebody on street fighter two or whatever. It's like, low kick, low kick, low kick, low kick. <laughs> and you're like, and you're like, this guy's going to have to succumb to some point. His shin has got to be broken. Um, but like, uh, it's just one of those things that it, it gets you into this fight in such a great way without having to cut a billion times. Now it cuts quite a bit, mm-hmm. but it's not like sitting there like every punch or every like little thing. Like we've got to show this, we've got to get content in this movie. Yeah. If you haven't uh, guessed already, you need to go watch the raid too. I don't yeah. Know. And it's not just, sorry, it's go not ahead. just the action. What you touched on there is it's that camera work and the choices they make mm-hmm. and where to put it. That's what makes this movie great. Mm-hmm. The action is great, but without the camera work, yeah. that's stunning and innovative. This movie would not be so buzzed about by me at least. Yeah. I don't know how he did it, the director, but even with that muddy mess in the middle of a fight, you can identify everybody that's important in for the most part yeah yeah, yeah yeah you really can and that's insane yeah wouldn't be able to do that with like the biggest movie stars on the planet with a, a lot of american films you yeah. Know? yeah unless they're wearing like some sort of bright yeah. you know superhero costume or yeah, even then it's in the mud so yeah, it's yeah. like they, they they did wear bright something it mm-hmm. would you know uh they would uh, find a way to lose them in the battle or you know and and you'd probably see like oh there's one shot of him beating ass and then it would go and show a bunch of people like you know like some shaky cam mess of some sort and then come back to him later. Yeah. Kind of like a, a lot of these Marvel movies do and their big fight scenes, sorry to say, but that's what they would do. Um, it's just one of those, I don't, you can't top the raid two as far oh, yeah. as action scenes. Are no, concerned. You really can't. Um, another one of the topics, one versus many. Mm-hmm. 
This is intriguing. Yeah, I'll start off with it. And it, it, I'm cheating a little bit because it's not one scene necessarily, but it's it's one movie, and that's First Blood. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've said this before. I just want to reiterate. This is not the Rambo that everybody has gotten used to over time in various sequels and things like that, where he's going into Vietnam and, like, you know, busting up some some Kong, <laughs> Kong people <laughs> and rescuing POWs. This is actually uh, John Rambo, a, a, a POW, former POW, that is just kind of living his life and hiking in the, the Pacific Northwest and through no fault of his own gets arrested for being a vagrant. And the, the police department of the sheriff's office have a vendetta against him. And circumstances accelerate that. But it ends up being John Rambo out in the forest in the Pacific Northwest, basically fighting against this whole group of uh, police officers. And he does it really smartly. And he does it you know, by being innovative. He doesn't do it by you know, having the biggest muscles and having the biggest you know, hand cannon on there. Uh, he just does it really, really well. And it's, it's fun to watch each individual way that he catches and basically eliminates the threats. We've talked about this movie uh, a couple of times before, but it was shocking to me because I, I you know, I was too young to watch Rambo movies mm. back in the 80s when they came out and everything. Uh, so when I finally got at, so I knew Rambo as the guy who just blew away a whole bunch of people yeah. all the time. And that's what he did. Even UHF, which I saw before any Rambo movie, has a big Rambo scene in it where, you know, he's like <laughs> he's like getting shot at at close range by millions of people and getting and they're missing and he's just calmly pulling out bows and arrows and stuff like that and like um but uh so i knew rambo is this one thing when you go and watch first blood you're like whoa yeah this is a completely different movie that i was suspecting yeah and it and it's and it is very well done yeah um well i'm going off my list so i may steal yours and i apologize in advance go for it. but i'm gonna go with the kingsman um uh, the okay. church scene in kentucky oh yes. my god <laughs> where wow. uh, Lancelot is being mind controlled basically by Sam Jackson's bullshit social media app <laughs> um, and kills like what, 150 people in a span of yeah. three minutes. Um, yeah. It's shot in such a way. Um, this is a very visceral experience. Mm-hmm. It's mayhem. Yes. Um, and I love this scene uh, way more than I love the movie. I like the movie, but this scene it almost feels like something I might see from the Raid 2 director yeah, in yeah, terms yeah. of how the camera keeps me focused on the main character but still shows me other stuff going on around him. And it's just manic. It's just manic. It'll mm-hmm. make you anxious probably. Uh, but I just love it. Thank, I love it so much. Thank God it's happening to a whole bunch of the Westboro Church type people. Yeah. Thank oh, goodness. Right. They really <laughs> have to make these people yeah. <laughs> terrible, yeah. terrible people. Yeah, because if it was at a regular church or if it was, you know, somewhere else where there's a bunch of innocent people and everything, uh, then, yeah, it would be a, you would paint this scene a whole different way. But it is kind of fun seeing all of them getting their just asses kicked and uh, it's a bloody scene. I was going to say, yeah. it's hard R, that scene right yeah, there. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but yeah, it's a good one because it is shot in such a way that's, uh, that is, uh, it is fun. Like, it, it, even with all the blood and everything, you can actually sit there and laugh at it. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Um, but uh, my one versus many isn't so much a fight scene, even though there are fights in it. But in Ongbok, 
Uh, you've seen have you you've seen this right yeah that was i had a scene from that on my list I just yeah chose to go with um there is another one i think i think you're the one you're pointing at is going to be ong bok too right the, oh through the hotel yeah, yeah yeah um but in ong bok there's a part where there's like a gang of people who are after him after tony ja and this and like uh he has to navigate this town now if we were cinema sensing this, <laughs> it's like the town decided to suddenly become like a, a what is it, the contraption? Um, a Rube Goldberg? A Rube Goldberg <laughs> contraption uh, just for this fight scene or this chase scene and everything. Because it's like, he's like, he jumps through this and this guy starts walking across and he jumps over that. And yeah. then there's like, <laughs> then there's like somebody like carrying this, like this like mesh of some sort where there's a hole in it and he jumps in between that <laughs> that said it's fucking exhilarating oh yeah it's it so really amazing like the way he goes through all this and jumps through all these obstacles and there is a point where he he gets trapped he's on a table and he's like there's like people who come in run in and everything and he has to still beat their ass somehow and it, again it's one of those scenes where you sit there and go how does your leg bend that way? <laughs> How? I mean, it's just one of those things where, like, he'll just be sitting there, like, on the table, and his leg will just go behind his head and, like, and like kick somebody in the face. And this isn't the stunt guy either. This yeah, is the yeah. guy. This is the guy doing it. Oh yeah. Um, that scene lasts for about five to ten minutes. It's it's one of these long. It's a long scene, but you will never be bored during it the entire time. He's got other friends who are getting chased in this too, but it's mostly him that you care about, and you don't care about the. The other guy and just all the stuff there the jumping and the going underneath they actually there's actually a part in there where he goes he you see him jumping over cars a lot which is amazing but then there's one where he actually slides underneath a car and they and there's so many scenes that are so amazing in it they show you three different angles of him doing oh really it. and it's the same one it's like they had to have set three cameras up to do it and mm -hmm. everything it's just like him going under and you see, oh, he got under. And then it's like the next shot is him, another angle of him doing it. Cause this is amazing enough to do that. <laughs> and there's a point where he gets like uh, trapped behind a whole bunch of guys. And he like, he like looks around and all of a sudden he jumps up, he gets on somebody's shoulder and he runs across all of their shoulders and gets behind them and runs away. And there's so many things in that, in that scene. Well, that movie is, the movie is kind of like blood sport in, mm -hmm. in, in mostly because it's a lot of underground fighting type stuff and everything. But that right there is one of those. It's just tour de force, like one against many scenes. It's great. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Um, improvisational fights. Yeah. Ones where people have uh, found objects on the ground. And it makes sense. Maybe not on the ground. Maybe just in their general area that they use in the fight. That, um, it, you know, you don't have to just use your fist sometimes. Sometimes you, you can, can subtitle use this the Jason Bourne category. Yes, the Jason <laughs> Bourne category where either he gets a teapot or a pen or, yeah, or some, a book. Yeah, or something like that uh, to to assist in the fight when he when the things look the most dire. Barrett, what is yours? I could also name this the Jackie Chan Award. Yep. Oh, yeah. Actually, it's probably better suited. Yeah. Well, because nobody uses props. I'm sure there may be somebody out there that, that does this since he really pioneered it, but really nobody uses props better in a fight scene than Jackie Chan, particularly yeah. in his prime. Yeah, you're right. And so my the scene that I immediately thought of when you think about improvisational is uh, Rumble in the Bronx. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so he's going against this biker gang that uh, is is just stereotypes of bikers, uh, but it, it takes place in like this appliance warehouse. Yep. 
where there's refrigerators and there's microwaves and there's like, you know, it's like if you're if you're old enough to remember service merchandise, this was <laughs> yeah, yeah, service yeah. merchandise. <laughs> oh yeah, it's stock room basically, and it's all behind like wooden slats and everything. And he the 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 use of space. I've kind of done a, a couple of Jackie Chan films in this, but the use of space and the use of those refrigerators and like putting somebody in there and then opening the door and hitting somebody else and then opening the freezer door and hitting somebody <laughs> yeah. else and then punching him and then throwing back into the refrigerator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, you know, the skis and the stuff that he uses, which you know has been practiced and rehearsed and just drilled into everybody's head 9,000 times before they get the take that they need. And, of course, Jackie Chan does all of his own stunts. Uh, ended up, I think, breaking his ankle doing a, a, yeah. a stunt in, in, one of, in this film. But it's an awesome scene. You can find it on YouTube, but you should watch the whole movie, not for the acting. It's certainly a bad movie, but the fights are just awesome. And he uses props just amazingly i chose to go with uh eat man here uh donnie mm-hmm. yen um this is the guy who would in real life go on to train bruce lee um and in in this movie the first one is the only one i would wholeheartedly endorse the fight scenes are great in all of them but uh basically this gang comes in and they actually come into his house and his kids even in the room and it's tense for a couple seconds and then he starts fighting with the gang leader um, and at one point, the gang leader pulls out this huge, like, s- curved Aladdin sword or whatever. <laughs> and so um, Donnie Yen picks up this really long feather duster <laughs> and basically beats his ass. And, like, he uses it in so many different ways, slap him on the side of the head or he'll poke him to, to actually move him. And he just uses the tensile strength, the bending of the feather, bust- feather duster stick to, I mean, it's just amazing. He didn't need a sword. He just needed a feather duster. Um, and if awesome. if you don't want to watch the whole movie, unlike Rumble in the Bronx, the whole movie's good. Um, and there's great fights all throughout. But this fight in his own home with the with the feather duster, uh, go look it up on YouTube because it's impressive as hell. And he's so calm. One of the reasons I like Donnie Yen is that it looks like he's never trying. That's awesome. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he's just like, like you're just a flea to him and mm-hmm. he's just going to stand and wait. And he does a lot of awesome like, Muhammad Ali type head dodging in this scene where he's <laughs> he's winning the fight just by staying an inch out of reach of the guy's sword. It's really good stuff. So that's the opposite of Jackie Chan because he makes it look like he's working. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, because he is. You know what I mean? Like he he hurts himself every movie, right? Uh-huh, Basically, because uh-huh. he's, he's so committed to doing his own stunts. Um, and this is a choreographed fight scene. Yeah. Um, but Donnie Yen is still a badass when it oh, comes yeah. to kung fu. Uh, I'm really excited about him in Rogue One. Yeah. Um. Now, I think, Barrett, you had uh, already said something about Rumble in the Bronx when we were uh, exchanging ideas on this, but that was the one I thought of immediately, the Rumble in the Bronx thing with him using the refrigerator doors and all that other stuff. So, and that's really a fight that could, we could classify under a lot of the uh, categories we've come up with. Yeah, one versus versus many. (laughs) It could be a humorous fight. It could be all these different things. Um, I think uh, ultimately I'm just going to have to come up with a humorous improvisational uh, scene, and that's a naked gun two and a half <laughs> when they're in the in the bathroom, and like <laughs> Leslie Nielsen picks up a, a a hair dryer and like starts blowing it in the face of the bad guy, and they just keep on finding all this stuff in the bathroom to like finally ending with the bad guy throwing a towel in his face and him going oh. <laughs> 
That is nice. So that's an improvisational <laughs> one, but it's also a humorous one. We'll get to that in a moment. But but I, I but Rumble in the Bronx is one of those things. Jackie Jackie Chan. I don't think this is what translated later on when he became an American star because Rumble in the Bronx was whatever. It was, was it a police story or no? It wasn't a police story, uh, but it was it was a separate one. One of those named a different thing. It's definitely not the Bronx mm. that they're going around fighting in mm. and everything. Um, but uh, like there's it's when he did his older movies he was able to do all that stuff like do his own stunts okay when he got into rush hour and all that other type of stuff he didn't that that's when american uh insurance companies and stuff said nope you're not gonna be doing that stuff by yourself we're gonna have a stunt man which is why they suck generally a lot of times these action yeah. movies this, um you know i'll do an honorable mention real quick on this sure. one because I don't know if it's on your list anywhere else, but if we're talking Jackie Chan, then the only reason to see this police story movie called First Strike mm-hmm. oh, is... Oh, was on my list, but it was the category we just did. So okay, did. yeah. I mean, he, he uses a ladder, and not just like a step ladder. He uses like a big probably, yeah. probably like a 12-foot, 18-foot ladder to fight off the this group of guys, and it is incredible. It is. Mm-hmm. It is You've still got, incredible. I... I can watch that scene and still not fathom how a person could come up with that shit. Yeah. <laughs> like how would you how would you even think of some of the ways to move that ladder? Oh god, it's phenomenal. It's upside down, it's horizontal, he's in it, he's he's yeah, flipping he it spins all over. It. Yeah, I mean it's crazy. Really yeah. all these fights, like especially in the Asian cinema and everything, it's like chess. Yeah. Isn't it? Like they're the moves that they're making in this thing are things that we would never th- even if we knew how to fight we wouldn't know how to do right. this because there's stuff like, especially like in, um, in, uh, Ong Bak when he's fighting one of these guys in one of the, uh, tournament fights or whatever, there's a point where he's, he's, he swings and misses at this one guy takes another, another approach from another angle right after that guy dodges it. But the one thing that the guy didn't know to dodge was this guy's leg kicking over, like going over his shoulder uh-huh. and into his face <laughs> and everything. It's one of those things where it's like you feel like the fighter is so good because, um, well, I'm going to try a bunch of stuff that might fail, but it's not going to hurt me. And then I'm going to and I'm going to keep on coming at you with surprises until something finally <laughs> lands. And it's just one of those things where it's just like there's got to be some sort of almost chess-like mm-hmm. intelligence when it comes to that type of stuff. Oh, yeah. Let's see. The next one we have on here, I believe, is the humorous ones. The humorous fights. Ones that are sp- specifically made to make you laugh because they are so ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, Barrett? <clears throat> There's no better example of this to me, especially in the last few years, than the Anchorman melee. <laughs> yes. Uh, talk about just dialing everything up to the highest possible notch and then involving not just the principals, but then getting a bunch of other networks in on, on the fight and they know it's going to go down. And, oh God, I mean, this will make you laugh on so many different levels because, you know, you've got all the variety of weapons and everything. You got the variety of characters and networks. You got Tim Robbins from the PBS and you got, <laughs> you got Ben Stiller from the Spanish speaking network yeah. because Ben Stiller is very Hispanic. Yes, he is. Totally. Uh, but, uh, and then you got Vince Vaughn and everything. And then you got like Steve Carell holding a grenade. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and everything is just up and there's a trident involved and I there's think, a horse and there's just craziness. My favorite part about that is the, is the come down session in the office afterwards <laughs> yeah. where, 
were they were like, did you throw a Triton? <laughs> <laughs> like, this brick is so stupid. Yeah, oh, yeah, um, I killed a guy. Yeah, <laughs> you should probably get out of town for a little while. <laughs> they, uh, they, they of course bastardized that in the second one. They did, where they're like, you know, that first one worked so well. Let's do it again with even more stars in it, but they don't even look like they're in the same scene. I don't know if I'm watching the same movie as everybody else because I thought Anchorman Two was a giant piece of shit. <laughs> oh yeah, it I was. it was a total retread. But there are people that really, really like that movie. I haven't seen no, it. No, it's it's not good. No, I was so I was super disappointed in yeah. Anchorman Two, and and the fact that they made that whole fight thing again, the big, huge, epic fight. They tried to go even more ridiculous with it, but the the problem is, is there's just no connect in there. Like these people, like Jim Carrey and yeah. and uh, Will Smith and all these people that get in there. They look like they were just there for, you know, like, hey, let's get Will Smith on for this one day. And they shoot that real quick. And then like, let's get Jim Carrey on this because there's never any point where all the these uh, these characters really interact with each other huh. at all. It would have been great to see Will Smith and Jim Carrey fighting, but don't have that in yeah. there. And as you see it in as it as it goes on and there's the fight, you're like, where's Jim Carrey in this? Mm-hmm. Where's Will Smith in this? Like, I'd like to know, like, it'd be great if they were all there, but. Yeah, they totally bastardized. That first one is fantastic. That first one's great. I mean, just seeing Tim Robbins come up and cut Luke Wilson's arm off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he he doesn't look too upset about it either. He's just like, oh, damn it. Yeah. And then immediately Tim Robbins, after cutting up, he starts smoking his pipe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's my pick. Yeah. All right. So I'm choosing to go with a, a very recent movie for this answer. Uh, Deadpool. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Now, the biggest laugh in the entire movie for me is the same scene that they shot that test footage for that ended up getting the movie greenlit when he assaults that SUV on the highway and mm. drops in through the sunroof. And it's it's a cool scene. A lot of what he says and does is funny, but when he holds up, it's only like a half second joke, and he holds up this doodle of a stick man (laughs) and says, have you seen this man? And I lost it. And every time I see that movie, that part gets, I know it's coming, but something about the delivery and the simplicity of the joke that in the middle of fighting four guys in a moving vehicle, he's also making jokes like, have you seen this man? (laughs) Oh God, I love it. I I could have picked a lot of scenes in that movie, but I went with that one. Um, I I guess I'm going to cheat. I'm going to do a couple on this one because one of them, uh, is I don't know if it's a terribly funny all the way through fight because in Clerks Dante and Randall end up <laughs> fighting at the end of Clerks and uh, but I love the way in the, talk about another movie that the the figure for how much it costs to make goes up and down depending on what year you're reading oh, yeah. about it uh, I I heard it was he maxed out credit cards for like thirty grand mm. and then that's how the movie was made um, but. It, the way he shoots it is not only obviously super indie and like this is the birth of in, in, indie cinema and everything. Well, just the sort of the hallmark of cinema, indie cinema, not the tr- not the um, birth of it, but um, but like he shoots it with Randall coming through the door and the 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 camera is a low camera shot, like shooting straight up. You can only see half the door and Randall's face as he comes <laughs> in, but then you see a hand come in and grab him, and then it's just like this 
this this big huge fight going through the aisles of this you know this quickie mart thing and like you see all this candy flying around <laughs> but the thing that makes me laugh the most about this scene every single time it gets me there's a point where you see a piece of like a loaf or uh, like a submarine sandwich type bread getting picked out of some sort of container. And the next scene is just a cutaway of that bread <laughs> going across Dante's face. <laughs> it kills me every time because of the way it's cut, because it's just like, there's bread. And then the next shot, boom, bread in the face. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, afterwards when they're talking about it and everything, of course they've got FDS in their in their face and all <laughs> other type of stuff. But but uh, that 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 fight's always been funny to me. the uh, The other one is in Team America. <laughs> Team America at the very beginning of Team America, you know, they're in in Paris and everything, and there's a point where. There's a, a mono model mono battle about to happen, and they're like, "All right!" And so they so they like get in their like karate stances and everything. And as they run towards each other, they're puppets, so it's just like they're kind of dancing around <laughs> on the screen, jumping up and down. There's no there's no fists or anything <laughs> flying. It's just them sitting there jumping <laughs> up and down and everything. And finally, finally, somehow the guy wins, and he, <laughs> whatever you know, uh, that's really always sets been the tone. It really does. So great. Yes, absolutely. So basically, that whole uh, syncast we just did is based on a question we got off of SoundCloud, yep. right? Uh, so yeah, today won't be any Q and A. We basically did a whole huge Q and A there with all these fights and everything. Keep them coming. Absolutely. Uh, keep going to SoundCloud and uh, sounding off and telling us what you think about uh, us in person and whatever. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Maybe we can share an ice cream. <laughs> maybe we can, maybe we can just hang out and look at real estate together. Um, but uh, no, keep on going to SoundCloud and uh, giving us your comments, telling what we're good or bad or whatever. And I think this is going to be the syncast for this week. This is Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share signing off. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Only a woman is allowed to touch me there. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins. Joined as always. You <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> morphed into Nick Nolte for a second. <laughs> welcome to the Sincast, everybody. This is Chris Atkinson. You sound like Marge's sister. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be sitting and watching a bunch of MacGyver. Watching a bunch of MacGyver tonight. <laughs> Holy uh, shit, that was funny. Goddamn time traveling robots covering up the goddamn tracks. I don't think there's been one moment in a movie in the past 30 years where I was just sitting there not enjoying the movie, and that just comes out of fucking nowhere. Yeah, I agree. It's 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 a very singular quality moment in a shit movie. <laughs> it's almost like they if they had known what they had, they could have centered it a little bit more around J.K. Simmons and his like 
investigation through the years. And then that that would have still paid off as a great line mm-hmm. later on because he could have been like, you know, well, he's time traveling robots, man. They're always, you know, he doesn't say the line completely. He just says, you know, like these time traveling robots, they know how to cover their tracks and they know how to get out of this. Mother. And then like later on when that happens. You know what I hate about that song? The Rolling in the Deep song? No. It's an awesome song. It's it's such a good song. Yeah. But what it doesn't need is fucking backup singers. You say that about all Adele songs. They but- don't need... But in this one in particular, like the harmonization on Send My Love to Your New Lover is perfect. But like the... You could have had it all... I actually like in um, Hello. Uh-huh. I like the background vocals there. Hello from the other side. Oh, yeah, no, those are fun. The side. Yeah, but you wrote a sin about those. I'm just saying they're not necessary. They're they're fine, but and they're not as egregious as the fucking rolling in the deep little chipmunks in the background. Like they sound like chipmunks. I've heard off her new album. Mm-hmm. Come, Wendy, let us jump the hilly brush. <laughs> okay, good. Well, let's just say that when we get into the main topic. Mm-hmm. Today's main topic is the Q&A expanded to a main topic. <laughs> just like that. Yes. Let's say it. Just say it. Just like that. I'll just take what I just said and cut it in there, and it'll be awesome. Just wait there. I'll pick you up. And Kramer, stay alive. No matter what occurs, I will find you. You need a real sinner, people. A sinner of such monumental proportions that all your sins wrapped up in one couldn't possibly equal the sins of this king of sin. Link and I are cruising the mountain, bro, and we figure we's a little juice. If I may inquire, what in fact happened to Mr. Renfield in Transylvania? You what said I, he was in danger. I said grave danger. You said is there I any recall other- what I, I said. Can- it's all about the information. You do not truly know someone until you find them. Meet group. 